If you would turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 21. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the, for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Got your Bibles, you can go ahead and leave them open to Romans chapter three. We'll be looking at this passage in just a minute in our study. First, I wanna say a couple things. It's obviously summertime, uh, at least, I mean, not officially, but it's here. And I've looked at the calendar and wow, it's about to get extremely busy as if it wasn't already. Um, Jordan Moore and I are leaving next Sunday morning early with our young people and a number of other adults uh, for Camp Bandina. And um, so I was thinking this evening, um, we're going to have a number of speakers next Sunday. Um, and, and I guess, I guess uh, I've, I've thrown him into the fire, but um, I've asked KJ Moore, who's going to be here officially this week for the first time uh, to work with us. KJ is going to preach on Sunday morning next week. And uh, Eric is going to, who read our, our scripture this evening, is going to bring my Bible class on Sunday morning in the auditorium. And then um, Jeremy Ross is going to be speaking next Sunday night. And I, I was just sitting there this, this evening thinking about, you know, with our summer series and the preaching internships that we've done over the years. And um, there are just a lot of really, really neat things happening with especially younger men. Uh, that have been associated with or that have grown up in the Katy congregation. And I really think that we ought to, we ought to stop from time to time and thank God for the fruit that he produces. Um, not to leave our young ladies out. There are some outstanding young ladies that have come uh, and, and grown up in the church here and have gone in, into the world and are living lives for Jesus Christ and making a tremendous difference in people's lives. But it's really a neat thing for me as I get older, and I feel older anyway, if I may not look older to some of you, but it's really a neat thing for me to see uh, that there, there are younger men, especially, who want to preach God's word and want to bring honor and glory to God. So with all that said, would you bow with me as we pray for these young men and, and all of our summer activities for just a moment? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your goodness toward us, toward this church, toward, toward your people. Father, we're thankful for the coming of KJ this week. We pray that you'll grant him a safe trip to, to Katie, and we pray that he'll settle in quickly. And we know, Father, he's going to do a tremendous job working with us. We're so excited for his arrival. We pray that you'll help us to be an encouragement to him. And Father, we're so thankful for the young men among us who have grown up here and, and have desired to preach God's word, preach your word. We're thankful, Father, for Eric and for, uh, for uh, Alex Simmons and uh, for so many others, Father, that, that are going to come our way this summer and, and are going to proclaim your word to us. And Father, we're thankful for their life and their faith, and we pray that you'll bless them. We're thankful, Father, for young ladies that have grown up here, and we pray, Father, that you'll help us to continue to encourage our young people to serve you, to be faithful to you. Father, may we continue to send people out, remembering that the church is not a parking lot, but a launch pad from which people can launch into the world and proclaim your word. 
Thank you so much, Father, for opportunities to work with younger people. Thank you so much, Father, for opportunities to listen to them and to sit at their feet as they've grown in study of your word. We pray your blessings upon them and upon all of us as we try to serve you. Thank you, God, for Jesus most of all. May we all try to be like him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 3, there is power in the blood of Jesus. This will be, I hope you don't mind, a shortened lesson this evening. But we're going to talk about, as we finish this particular series, on how we're saved and what it means to be right with God, focusing on the blood of Christ. I want you to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. In Romans 3, 25, the Bible says that we have been justified freely by the grace of Jesus, whom God set forth, Romans 3, 25, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate God's righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. What does it mean that there is power in the blood? I'd like for you to observe, first of all, this evening that the Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can atone for sin. There is nothing else that can do so. If our sin is going to be cleansed, if our sin is going to be removed, if our sin is going to be forgiven, it will only ever happen because of the blood of Jesus. Just notice in this passage, the scripture says that the blood of Jesus justifies us. We've been talking about justification for the last five lessons. The idea that God is the one who makes us right. We can't do anything to make ourselves right. We can only accept the gift that God has presented to us by trusting and obeying his word. And so when someone comes to Christ and they decide to put him on in baptism, what they're doing is not earning their own salvation. They are accepting the gift that God has provided. And that's what God's word teaches. We are justified by his blood, Romans 5 verse 9. Not only that, but we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It purchases us. Notice in verse, verse 24, we are redeemed, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're purchased. Acts 20 verse 28, he purchased the church with his blood. When Angie and Daniel and Abby and I lived in Africa, we had to change our American dollars into Tanzanian shillings because you can't go to most grocery stores and marketplaces in Tanzania and use U.S. dollars. Some you can, but most of them you have to have Tanzanian shillings. And so we had to convert our money because the currency we were using was not useful in a foreign country. There is only one kind of currency that can purchase a soul. And it's not dollars and it's not Tanzanian shillings. The only currency that can ever purchase a soul is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by his blood. It atones for our sin. And not only that, but the Bible says in Romans 3.24 that his blood makes propitiation. That's not a word we use just every day. But the word propitiation comes from a Greek word that has to do with the gods being angry. The ancient Greeks believed in gods like Zeus and Apollo and, and uh, Diana and, and others. And they had a pantheon, they called it, of gods. And when there was a bad thunderstorm or an earthquake or the, a tsunami, they, they would sometimes think, well, maybe the gods are angry. Maybe they're displeased. And what we need to do is we need to offer a sacrifice to make propitiation, to make the God that is angry, not angry anymore. And so the word propitiation is a word that was very common in, in the ancient Greek world, and it had to do with offering a sacrifice because you're trying to make the God that is angry, not angry. And here the Bible says that God, who is angry over sin, 
put his own son forth and by his blood he makes propitiation for us. That is to say that it's the blood of Jesus that causes God to look at not our sin anymore, but at the blood of Jesus and it satisfies the divine wrath of God. It satisfies his divine and his holy anger over our sin. Only the blood of Jesus can accomplish that. Only the blood of Jesus can reconcile us to God. To leave some pa- the passage here in Romans 3 and to think for just a moment. There is an estrangement that happens when we sin. We are separate from God and only the blood of Jesus can ever reconcile us, can ever make us at peace again. Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, only the blood of Jesus can wash us from our sin. Revelation 1 verse 5, we sang a profound truth a little while ago when we asked in our song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is the most precious substance in existence because it is the only substance that can wash sin, can purchase souls, can justify sinful men. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says it is the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us. The word sanctify means to make holy. It means to make us right again. It means to make us pure in God's sight again. The blood of Jesus, brothers and sisters and friends, atones for sin. And Romans chapter 3, as you look at this particular passage, it only mentions blood really one time. But oh, how powerful and how important the blood of Jesus is in God's scheme of redemption. When Jesus went to the cross and became a sacrifice for us, we use words like he shed his blood and he poured out his life for us and those kinds of things that describe the sacrifice that was given. But Jesus bled and Jesus died for us so that our sin could be atoned. And there was no other way possible for us to ever be right with God. It is important for every New Testament Christian to nail this truth down in our minds. And to remember that the reason why we're saved is because somebody came and died for us. The reason why we're saved is not because we're better than other people, but because Jesus was better than everybody and because Jesus is the only sacrifice that can possibly save us. That must be in our minds because that's how the gospel works, number one. And number two, it's gonna keep us in the proper perspective in our own minds and our hearts. You see, if we stop thinking that Jesus saves us and if we stop thinking that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that cleanses our sin, if we stop thinking that way, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna become puffed up and proud and we're gonna think we're doing this all on our own as Christians. And all we're doing is trusting in a savior who has saved us. All we're doing is trusting in the blood that he shed because that blood atones for our sin. That was a sign. All right. (laughs) Secondly, this evening, notice this. The blood of Jesus atones for sins, according to Romans chapter three, that were committed before the cross. This is important because the question you might ask is, and and, and many have over the years, what happened to Abraham and what happened to Isaac and what happened to David? Because God said he was going to forgive their sin. But you're saying, John, the Bible's saying here that only the blood of Jesus could ever take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus, that perfect sacrifice could ever cause somebody to be righteous. And notice, I've got the passage on the screen behind me. In Romans 3, verse 25, there's this language. It says, God put Jesus forward 
offered as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God had passed over former sins. My translation, New King James says, sins that were previously committed. And that is a reference to those Old Testament heroes of faith. People like David and Joshua and Moses who lived their lives by faith, who put their trust in God to save them, but the cross had not occurred yet. The cross pays for their sins as well. Let's explore this for just a moment. The Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 10, verse four, that all those Old Testament sacrifices, those bulls and goats that people were offering in the temple, those could not take away sin. Even though God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to shed the blood of the sheep or shed the blood of the goat. And I want you to, I want you to pour out its life upon the altar. And I'm going to see that and I'm going to forgive you. Even though God was saying those things, Hebrews tells you God couldn't really use that blood to forgive. It was the wrong kind of currency. Even though that's what God prescribed, that could not seal the deal. It could not cause people to be justified. Then we've got the passage that we explored a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter four that's quoted from Genesis chapter 15, verse six, where it says, Abraham, when God said he was gonna forgive him, God said he was gonna, uh, God said he's gonna save him. God said, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what did Abraham do? How was Abraham saved? He put his trust in God to do for him what he couldn't do for himself. Abraham could not save himself. He was not perfect by any stretch. Abraham trusted God and God accounted that to him for righteousness. And in Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, the Bible teaches us that the just shall live by faith. So what were those Old Testament characters doing? The Bible says those Old Testament characters were told by God to put their faith in him. God said, trust me, Abraham, trust me, Moses. Trust me, David, I will save you. I will forgive you. Trust me. And so Abraham and David and Moses and Zerubbabel and Joshua, all those individuals, they trusted God and God said, I will save you. Even though there was no sacrifice for their sin as such just yet. Then you get to the book of Revelation and Revelation does a number of things, but one of the things it does, especially in Revelation 12, is Revelation 12 reviews salvation history. It reviews what God has done in Jesus. And listen to what's being said here in Revelation 12 verse 10. John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, and that's important, that word now. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser, that's the devil, of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. What is that passage saying? The devil was looking at God and looking at God's unfolding plan. And the devil was saying to God, you can't really save Abraham. There's no real sacrifice for Abraham's sin. God, you know this, you're a righteous God, you're holy. You can't really be saving Abraham. Abraham's a sinner. Abraham's lost. You can't really tell me, God, that the blood of bulls and goats has saved Abraham. You can't tell me that David, you remember what he did with Bathsheba, God? You remember what he did with Uriah, her husband? You can't tell me that David is saved. 
All David ever did was offer the blood of bulls and goats, and you can't save people by that. That's not sufficient to purchase a soul. And so Satan is accusing these people day and night. But watch what it goes on to say in Revelation 12 and verse 11. It says, they conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. That's faith. They put their faith in God and said they were gonna serve him and they were gonna obey him and they were gonna trust him. And by the blood of the lamb, they overcame the accuser. And there is no more cause, there is no more occasion for the devil to accuse people before God because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, according to Romans chapter 3 and verse 25 and 26, the blood of Jesus makes atonement for the sins that were committed prior to the cross. When Jesus died and said, it is finished in John 19, verse 30, the blood of Jesus was paying the price not only for our sins today, but it was paying the price for David and Abraham and Moses and all those Old Testament heroes of faith. It was paying for their sins as well. Then notice this. This is number three tonight. Romans chapter three teaches us, brothers and sisters, that the blood of Jesus atones for sins that have been committed after the cross. That's you and me. It washes our sins away, it remits our sins, it causes us to be justified by His grace as a gift. And again, it's a gift freely given. It's something that God does for us. What are you saying, Brother John? Are you saying that we don't have to obey and we don't have to do anything? And that's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible is saying though, it's important how we conceive of our salvation. It is not something that we merit or earn. It's not something that we ever do in order to say before God, God, you owe me. Our salvation is a gift and it is holy and totally a gift that God gives us and we receive it by his grace, by faith. Romans 3 verse 24. Now I want you to look back at Romans chapter three very quickly and I want you to notice that through Christ's blood, God is able to do certain things. Because of what God, but because of what God did at the cross and what Jesus' blood does, God is able to do certain things. Number one, God is able, as we've discussed, to justify us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God's able to justify us. He's able to make us as if we'd never sinned because of what Jesus has done, because his blood has been shed for us. Secondly, though, because of the blood of Jesus, God is able to be consistent with his just nature. God is just. God never makes a mistake. God never overlooks a sin. Every single sin that has ever been committed must be paid for, has to be. There is no escaping. Every sin must be accounted for and must receive its due penalty, its due reward. God cannot just say, well, you know what? That one doesn't count. I used to like it in school when teachers would say that at the end of the semester, when they'd say, you know, I gave you this assignment and you really messed up, but I'm just gonna say that one doesn't count. And I found out when I got to college that if I went and got to know my professors and acted like I was interested in their class, that at the end of the semester, they'd really say, you know what? You've got, a, you've got an 88 in my class, I'll give you an A. Wow, that's great, you know, it doesn't count. But the thing is, strictly speaking, I know that's the way teachers often do, but strictly speaking, that's not fair because the grade you earn is the grade you earn and the work you do is the work you do. And God has to be just, he has to be fair. 
And God cannot be consistent with his just nature and save souls unless the blood of Jesus atones for us. That is critically important. God can't continue to be God and save people without somebody paying for sin. And so Romans 3.26 says it demonstrates God's righteousness that the blood of Jesus is set forth as a propitiation for us. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And then look, if you would, at verse 26, the end. It says that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The passage is telling us that God is consistent with his nature. He's doing the right thing when he saves us because Jesus paid it all. And then finally, the blood of Jesus atones for our sins and it takes away our occasion for boasting. Romans 3, 27 through 29, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but the law of faith. Therefore we conclude a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. What the Bible is saying is that the gospel takes away from us every reason for thinking highly of ourselves. It takes away from us every reason for thinking that we're somehow better than anybody else. The gospel takes all that away because when we look at ourselves in light of the holiness and the perfection of God, when we look at ourselves in light of Jesus and his cross, all we can say honestly, if we're really thinking straight, is God be merciful to me, a sinner. I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from my sin. I need the cross of Jesus to continually pay the price for the sin that's in my life. I have died to sin. I am living for God, but I still realize that I fall short. I still realize that in my life, I'm still struggling with things. And God, I need the atoning blood of Jesus. There is no occasion for me to brag and say, look at me and how good I'm doing. Look at me and how well I'm living the Christian life. There is no occasion for any Christian to do that. Rather, we boast in the cross, Galatians 6, 14. We boast in what Jesus has done. We point out the atoning death of Jesus. We point out his blood and what it does for us. And we tell other people about it because there is a cure. There is a solution to the problem of sin, but it's only found in one place. It's only ever found in the cross. So we boast in him and we boast in God and we boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we get ourselves as much out of the way as we possibly can. You know, men, when they led prayers for preachers years ago, I, I, I don't hear this being said much, and I'm not saying it needs to be said, but oftentimes I would hear men say as I was growing up, help the preacher who's preaching the lesson to stand behind the cross. We don't wanna see the preacher, we wanna see the cross. That's a wonderful thought, and that's exactly the way our lives ought to be. We don't want people to see us. We want people to see Jesus and his cross. And we want people to know that because of what Jesus has done and because of the salvation that God has provided, that everyone who so desires can have salvation given to them by God to be accepted by trusting, obedient faith in Jesus Christ and in his gospel. That's a wonderful story. You know, it's been my observation that oftentimes we get, we get caught in the forest looking at the trees of God's word. We get caught looking at the particulars and the details, and that's important. We need that. 
but we get caught looking at the trees and we miss the bigger picture of this is what God has done for us. He has saved us from our sins. He has provided a currency that can purchase us. And we need to go back and look inside the engine and realize how it is that we can be right with God. Because as has many times been said, if you get Romans, God gets you. I hope you'll give time to study and thought and prayer in the book of Romans and what it has to say about your salvation. Maybe you're here this evening and you're not a New Testament Christian. You wanna obey the gospel because you believe that there is power in the blood. And by the way, baptism is the point at which someone contacts the blood of Jesus, not before. We become a child of God. We become a servant of God when we're baptized. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.